This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green, and welcome to the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's a sure sign of a good time. Here we go. Well, Denny, it's uh, great. You know, it's always great this time of year because when you look at the matchups that transpired last weekend, it really brings into focus what a team can or cannot do. Let's start with the Jets and the Giants. I guess there's no bigger game that can be played than in the Big Apple between these two teams with as much on the line as there was last weekend. Well, there really can't be, and I think that, you know, the, the teams are playing. is coming down to the wire. It's down to two weeks. I don't think they're, the league can be impressed with a lot of the records, but I think the league is impressed with the parity that uh, there's so much interest in this time of the season. Yeah, well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the game itself first, and then we want to get to some of the, the the issues in terms of the personalities and what this means going forward. Just the game itself, I, I, I got it. When I first looked at the the uh, line on this or the box score when the game was over, and and first I thought it was a typo. I thought there's no way that the Giants can win with Eli Manning. Uh, completing just nine passes, but it was for 217 yards and a touchdown. It was, and what we saw, of course, is once again, defensive backs misplaying the ball. I mean, you know, just trying to make a play on the ball. They have no chance to make a play on the ball. As a result of that, not making a play on the receiver. As a result of that, a 99-yard touchdown pass. Are you kidding me? So it's those type of things that add up, and there's no way you'd see also that the Jets are going to win throwing the ball more than 50 times and then say that they lost the ball game yeah when you identify your team as rex ryan does the saying we're going to play great defense we're going to pound and ground well not when you throw the ball 59 times and i think what we saw also by way of the jets going forward they're not capable of putting pressure on a quarterback the way they love to unless they scheme it with a six seven eight man rush well, when you do that you get some individual one-on-one matchups, and then, you know, it's you live by the sword, you die by the sword, and hence you have some of the big plays that uh, New York was able to make. Yeah, I think so. And also, they have to blitz a little bit even to stop the run. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, the Giants do a pretty good job of getting downhill. They start packing it, and they're pretty good. They're real physical. And so it's not only just a, a blitz, an extra backer to uh, rush the passer, but it's also an extra player to uh, help stop the run. Let's talk a little bit about as these team goes forward, because both obviously the Giants are playing this weekend against Dallas for the whole ball of wax for the NFC East. They've put themselves in that position, even though they've they've kind of been up and down. They had the big win against Dallas and then the, the, the head scratcher against Washington. The Jets really kind of had things teed up for themselves. They're right there, but now they're, they've kind of fallen back with the group. And, and let's talk a little bit as the Jets go forward. At the end of the day, this is a team that has been in the AFC championship game the last two years. You can say what you want about Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan, what they're doing. At the end of the day, they're just not as good a team as they were the last two years. They really aren't, and I, and I think that I think they talk as good a game as as they've ever as they've ever talked. But I think the results are, are not there. And and it was interesting because you know you hear so much about the Jets are going to play for. You know, uh, Rex Ryan and and the Giants, you know, players are tired of Coughlin. But in reality, you know, the Giants have time and time again been able to show their physical toughness, you know, uh, and and step up and play. And I think that, you know, it's kind of like the one where all of a sudden the Jets are almost calling the Giants out. And when you call a guy out, then you got to be ready for what happens. And so this is a case of the Jets calling the Giants out. And saying, if you start the fight, the Giants are basically saying, we're going to finish the fight. And that's what happened. Well, and it also puts, I think, the Jets in a situation. We've talked 
for a number of weeks now about the bravado of Rex Ryan. And Rex, of course, worked for me, and, and, and you love that bravado and that personality. And, but the, the bravado that he has also now does put that bullseye on you. And, and, and Rex has always leaned on the fact that the players will play for him, that, that we're in this thing together. But as they go forward, as we just said, they're not as good a team as they were. So now, whether they make the playoffs or not, they're going to go through a great deal of change in this offseason, which means now Rex Ryan, as the head coach, is basically going to have to tell his team, hey, guys, we're in this together, but there's a few of you that ain't going to be with us going forward because we need better. That now starts to separate you. We've both been in that situation. You love to be close to your players, but you alluded to it. Tom Coughlin, I don't know that they have the warm, huggy feeling uh, feeling for their, their uh, you know, the players don't care for Tom as much as the players supposedly love Rex, but at the end of the day, they're going to respect the fact that you're the head coach and the course you have to put them on. Yeah, and that's part of life and, and unrestricted free agency, that you can't keep all of your players. That That's why you, you have a shot, you make the most out of it. The, the Jets had a shot last year, they had a shot the year before. They didn't quite make the most of it because now it comes uh, the third year, and maybe now there's some guys that you really would like to keep. You can keep. All of a sudden, you you know you affect the chemistry, and and I don't know if you can tee it up three years in a row and make a legitimate run three years in a row and not be affected about the change that is a result of life in the NFL. Well, and, and you look on the flip side of it, uh, obviously Tom Coughlin's been under fire and, and still always questions about, you know, will he retain the job here and the fall, you know, the way they fall apart in December. But I guess the point I keep coming back to is that mental toughness and why I think they're going to shape up very well against the Cowboys because the Giants uh, in that second half of the season – you know, yeah, they, they lost to San Francisco and Philly and New Orleans and Green Bay, but, but listen to those teams. Nor, you know, uh, San Francisco, Philly, New Orleans, Green, those are pretty good football teams. Nope. And, and at the same time, Dallas was able to claw back into the, to the, uh, the playoff race, but while the Giants were playing those teams, uh, Dallas was beating teams like Seattle, Buffalo, Washington, Miami. So, I think the idea of the crucible that New York has had to go through has toughened them to put this, put them in this situation where, yeah, I think they're going to be the better team and they're going to be the victor. And that's what a coach can count on. That's what Tom's going to tell those guys that, hey, we have traveled a more rugged road than the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, we're both eight and seven, but we have a different type of eight and seven than they have. And so I think that's what you create in there. And how can you have it better than that? I mean, this once again, the Giants, you know, play Dallas. We saw it with three games to go that these guys are going to hook up again this time it's in new york now the, the other one though is you know the giants don't play as well at home i don't i don't know if the record shows that out but the reality i seem to see to me is that they don't play quite as well at home but i i think in this particular case you know with tony romo's hand injury his inability to really be able to go out and practice all week deal with the swelling in the hand i think the giants are probably going to have a little bit of an advantage yeah, and, and before I get too far away from this, let's let's because we've been in this situation many many times. They're obviously rivals. They're gonna, they've played each other many many times. The last game, uh, you know, the Giants had almost thirty five minutes of, of time of possession. They had four hundred yards passing. They ran the ball for one hundred and ten yards. I mean, can we draw anything from that last game when New York was able to beat Dallas in Dallas, or is this just a whole new world? Well, I think that you, what you can draw for it is that that uh, the Giants felt they had to go down there and whip them, you know, 
on the star, and they did that. And and so the confidence level is that well, if we beat them there, which we had to do, now we have to win again. We you know the win over the Jets, I think, gives them that momentum. We had to beat the Jets, we did. Now we have to beat Dallas again, and that's going to be crucial. And and I think that that's where the pass rush really can show itself. That's where the power run game can really show itself. And and I think that's where the you know they'll again they'll step up and say you know what Tom gives us is a leadership to help us win and we have to follow his lead that's what's gotten us this far yeah you know and i want to talk more about the giants and the cowboys but i want to come back to the jets just one more thing and, and we got to mention it because it involved the coach and afterwards uh brandon jacobs and rex ryan had a kind of bitten back and forth uh, have you ever had uh, that experience where you kind of got in a, into a back and forth with a player after a game <laughs> i never have i you know i just know this till the victor goes to spoils i mean the guy that's on the field who's won the game can pretty much say anything he wants i mean i'm just gonna shake his hand and keep on moving it doesn't matter what kind of insult he throws the fans throw it it doesn't matter you know, again, till the victor goes as well as you keep going. I think that it appears that Jake, I don't know who said something first, either Jacobs or Rex Ryan. One of them said something. The other one, you know, replied. So then, you know, uh, Jacobs had something to say. It wasn't flattering. And Rex Ryan had something to say, and it wasn't flattering. So I, I've never been in that situation. Like I said, I normally just, if I get my butt whipped, I normally get my butt off the field. Yeah, well, you're, you're smarter than I am. I, I was pretty good with that. I had one incident when we lost a tough emotional loss in New England. It was my last year. Yeah, I got drawn into a thing with Rodney Harrison. We we almost had the New England Patriots beat on their undefeated season. Uh, and and uh, they intercepted us late and came around the sideline. He threw a bunch of expletives at me and my team, my quarterback. So I kind of... I kind of gave him a little bit of a, a kiss, basically say, you can kiss my backside. And, of course, I've been seeing that for the last four and five years. So you're right. There's no upside to that. And uh, well, let me one final thing with the Jets. You know, because Sanchez is just getting beat up here. What, what's your take on Sanchez? To me, it just seems like in the critical times when the team really needs him, he hasn't been able to deliver. Well, I don't think he can go off script. I think he's definitely a guy that if you're throwing the ball about 25 times a game, uh, and you've got the run game going with it. You're giving him good field position. I think he can lead you victory, and he's done that time and time again. But I think when they go off script is when they have to win with the passing game, when the running game is not there, when the defensive capabilities that cause turnovers is not there, when a shortened field is not there, then he has uh, struggled. Yeah, and the Jets are clearly in a spot right now where, yeah, they got to win this weekend against Miami, and that's likely to happen. But they've got to see Cincinnati, Tennessee, Oakland, and or Denver all lose. I, I just don't think that's going to align for them uh, enough to make this thing happen. And then, of course, my wager is is the next day Rex will get up and say, well, that's okay, we're out of it, but we'll be back and we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. Nothing's going to deter Rex. No, and he very well might. As you know, there's nothing that uh, that gives you momentum, uh, not momentum, but gives you kind of uh, motivation is disappointment. Well, let's let's get back to the, to that game coming up. Obviously, with the Giants and with the Cowboys, if uh, you talked a little bit about what you would tell your team if you're Tom Coughlin, I, I, if I'm Jason Garrett, what I'm going to tell my team is that look, we're you know I, I don't care how it happened, I don't care where we did last week. We're in the last game of the season against our division rival, the New York Giants, who we know how to beat. Maybe we didn't do it this year yet. We know how to beat these guys. We're we're where we said we wanted to be, which is to win the NFC East and go into the playoffs. Let's let's grab that bull by the horns and let's go. 
Yeah, and you know what? I, I think that's what makes a difference. The problem is, is I think the leader, when you look across and you see, you know, Jason Garrett's able to look and just see that Tony Romo is not there. One of the things that has hurt the NFL is that nobody has two good quarterbacks. Everybody just has one, and if that starter's playing, they're okay. If they lose that starter, then bad things have been happening, and I think that script is probably going to continue for Dallas. Well, I think we I keep coming back to New York's mental toughness. It leads us to the next thing I want to talk about because it happened in the in the Dallas game against Philadelphia. Every player along that sideline for the New York Giants knows who's in charge, Tom Coughlin. They may like him. They may not like him. They may not like some of the things they do, but they know he's the leader, and at the end of the day, he's gonna, they're going to follow his lead in the most crucial situations, and when it, the, the you-know-what hits the fan, uh, they know where that leadership's going to come from. When you look across the way there, as good a coach as I think Jason Garrett is, I'm not sure that they have the same thing because I think that team's looking around to see, well, where's Jerry and what's he saying? Well, I think that's the circumstance that Jason has taken the job. You know, he's been around a long time. I think everybody takes him granted. He was there as a player. He was there as an assistant coach. He went from assistant coach to the head coach. Uh, they're having just obviously an okay year because they have a chance to be 500, maybe a little bit better. And the more crucial the situation, I think the more Jerry thinks he needs to help Jason Garrett out. And, and maybe he does. I mean, he knows him a lot better than we do. But I think it does have probably a negative effect on the ball club because it's it's about the guys on the field, on the sidelines, on the football field itself, between the stripes. Those are the ones that have to make those crucial decisions in any time the owner steps down and becomes part of it. Now, Jerry's already come out and said, you know, because of the Philadelphia game and, you know, sometimes a self-fulfilling prophecy, he said, you know, he's a little bit afraid of Philadelphia. Well, um, you know, and that he said it because he's motivated by that. In other words, Jerry said, I motivate myself by my fear. My fear is of Philly. I'm going to be motivated by Philly. I will have a chance to help the team beat Philly because of that. Well, it didn't quite work that way. Yeah, and Jerry Jones, let's make it very clear now, Jerry Jones can handle his team any way he wants. He's the owner, he's paid for it, he has that right. But, boy, as, as we've been at this a long time, and, and you and I both know, at the end of the day, in the game, the guys in that huddle, I don't care what the structure is, who the coach is, who the owner is, they've got to look in the eye of that quarterback and know this guy's in charge, if we're going to win, we've got to listen to what this guy says. And likewise, when they walk off that field, you and I don't get to cross that white line. But when they come off the field, they've got to know who's in charge here, who's going to make the tough calls, who's going to make these decisions. We don't care if there's a president slash general manager slash vice president of football operations. We don't care about all those slashes. That guy on the sideline has to be the guy that we answer to and that we follow, and it doesn't matter how much involved Jerry Jones is. Unless he wants to be on that sideline and on that practice field 24-7, I don't know how you lead a team that way. Well, it, it hasn't proven to be the case. As you know, over the period of time that Jerry's on the team, they've won some fantastic Super Bowl championships, but they've also had some bad years. This is what we call an average year because they very well could be 9-7 and seven, make the playoffs. That's not bad. Or they could be 8-8 eight and eight and miss that on the playoffs. I, I think that, you know, Jason is it's his, it's his really first full year. Uh, Jerry, I think, has to learn how to handle him, handle the situation, has to learn the role. As we know, there's always got to be a role. We have to understand our role. Uh, we've got to be good about our role. Uh, Jason, if his role is to be the head coach, now not just the offensive coordinator and not just the play caller, but the head coach, then, you know, Jerry will have to help him establish his role as the head coach. That's head coach of offense, defense, and special teams. 
Well, what I do love is I'm looking here through all the playoff scenarios, and, and with any number of them, you know, it defies your Harrisburg math and logic because you've got to have a degree from MIT to try to figure this out. <laughs> but what I do love about this game, there's just one line. In order to clinch, New York wins. They clinch it. Dallas wins. They clinch it. What do you, how do you think this is going to go down? You can't beat it. Win and you're in. I, I, I think the healthier team, the healthier team at the crucial position, Eli Manning, the Giants, I think at home, even though I always sense that the Giants don't play as well at home, but I think the Giants can, can win this game. And, and, again, it comes like, hey, we won the game against New Jersey basically the New York Jets. We won that game in New Jersey. We won the game we had to win. We can't blow it now. We've come too far to blow it now, and I think the Giants can squeeze it out. Yeah, I, I go back to my I think the Giants are just a mentally tougher mentally tougher team, whether it comes from Coughlin or whatever, uh, and that's going to make the big difference for them. Uh, let's jump over to the AFC. One of those teams, uh, We've again, we, we have our obligatory uh, Denver Bronco Tim Tebow conversation, but the last two weeks now, going into the Patriot game and then the Bills game, we talked about the challenge for the Broncos. Can Tim Tebow, in the way they're playing, keep up if it turns into a track meet? The last two games against the Patriots and the Bills have been a track meet, and the, and the Broncos just couldn't keep up. No, they couldn't. And we knew it could be a track meet against New England. Uh, Buffalo's only played a couple games like that. You know what I mean? Now, it was helped that Tebow had four interceptions, so the turnover's up a little bit. Buffalo, early in the season, looked like, wow, what a, what a team. What an explosive. And then for most of the season, they, they did not look that way, but they did uh, come through yesterday, uh, I mean, on Saturday, and play very well, you know, against Denver. So now it comes down to, despite all of this and traveling all this distance, there is an 8-7 and seven Denver team that can win it. Yeah, and, and and it's going to be interesting. Again, you love it that the fact that it's coming back to that last game. The, the thing that I look at as they play the Chiefs, because obviously the first time they played the Chiefs, they put up almost 250 yards rushing offense. I think the Broncos are a better team today than they were then, but I think maybe the Chiefs are a little bit better as well, particularly in behind Kyle Orton at quarterback. Um, this is going to be an interesting game. I think I think the Broncos can beat the Chiefs. I still worry a little bit. You know, the Chiefs kind of had their heyday. Hey, we beat the Green Bay Packers. We show we're still viable. Yeah, things just didn't quite go our way. We love our coach Romeo Cornell. Didn't quite turn out that way against the Raiders. I'm not sure that they can sustain it playing the Broncos. Well, I, th- I think they can. You know, it, what, what happens is the same old thing. You know, they feel like, boy, we really helped Romeo when we beat uh, uh, Green Bay. Boy, we really hurt Romeo by how we played against Oakland. We've got one more chance to try to show Romeo that we can help him, you know, get this job and play. And they, they can play better. I mean, it, this is a team that has underachieved all year. Kansas City's a much better uh, team. I think now they, they had a quarterback issue because of the injury. They tried to play a couple guys that really weren't good enough now that Kyle Orton is back and I think there's irony and you and I both know that irony is a big part of the game so Kyle Orton in the words of some people never returned to the scene of the crime the crime was that Kyle feels he never really had a legitimate chance this year that this deck was stacked against him because of everybody wanted to be a Tebow fan and now I get to come back and show you what kind of quarterback I really am the kind of quarterback that played well enough against Green Bay who's not very good defensively but that kind of quarterback. Now, I'm that kind of quarterback. We had a chance against Oakland, didn't get it done. I think Kyle Horton's going to come back and let irony ring out and, and give them a chance to uh, to beat Denver. 
Yeah, and I, I also worry, as much as I think Denver will win, I also worry about the loss of Brian Dawkins. I think he was a huge part of that defense in the back end to go with Champ Bailey. big part of what they do defensively kind of holds the back end together. And without Brian Dawkins, I think there is a little more vulnerability there. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and it is part of the defense. You know, he's a ball hawk. I think he created that whole bravado that they had, which a big part of it was that, hey, we may not move the ball well offensively, but we cause turnovers, we make big plays, we make big plays in the secondary, we make big plays, you know, we don't let anybody get down the field on. So there are a lot of things that they were doing to show that Brian Dawkins, you know, and Champ Bailey were guys that were controlling this football team defensively. Well, half of that control group is gone. Well, let's, let's talk about, you know, as we go forward now, the Raiders obviously are in the thick of it as well. And, and, the, and the Chiefs game was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, again, you saw Kyle Orton play so well, throw for better than 300 yards. He did have the two interceptions. They ran the ball well against the Raiders, which was a surprise to me, better than 130 yards. Uh, Carson Palmer didn't have a great day. He also threw for two interceptions. But the thing that jumped out at me again, the Raiders, once again, 15 penalties in the game. Now they won, but and we've done our little bit of research and we're going to talk on about it on our show, but of the top 5 all-time most penalized teams in the history of this league, four of them are Oakland Raider teams. I just don't know how you can go forward with that. Well, you know what and and it's it's a, a dilemma that says how can this be? How can one team just by virtue of who they are or where they are at or or what their reputation has been? How can one team always, you know, just screw it up, be it, have a chance and screw it up through penalties, uh, dumb penalties, uh, penalties that, that nobody else will make? And, and the answer is, I don't know, but I know that's the case. So I, I just think that coming up this week, they've got themselves in a situation where they're going to play against a San Diego team. And, again, the psychology of the game is plain and simple. San Diego had been playing well. San Diego still had a playoff shot. You know, San Diego traveled on the road, and, and San Diego blew, uh, you know, laid an egg against Detroit. Now, we know Detroit is hot, and Detroit's playing well. But everybody in San Diego, that's my hometown, expected the, the Chargers to continue along their merry path and, and finish with seven, eight straight wins, and and, uh, and that didn't happen. So uh, I I think that Norv, it's, it's a lot of pressure. But I think that the rivalry that Oakland and San Diego have always had since the old days gives San Diego one more chance to hit the road and play against an Oakland team who they really are better than right now because without McFadden, Oakland can't run the football as well. And I think that maybe the Chargers can pull that upset on Oakland. And if it is happened, then, you know, Oakland put themselves in that situation. Uh, the good thing for Oakland, Denny, is that, that they don't have to scoreboard watch, that they don't, you know, obviously if they can win and Denver loses, uh, then they can win the division. But even if Denver wins, if they, if Oakland wins, coupled with a Cincinnati loss and a Tennessee loss or tie, they can get the wild card spot. Or if they win, Cincinnati loses, and this is an odd one, if the New York Jets win because of the convoluted head-to-head formula so there's a lot there's a real hole here for oakland there's a real carrot at the end of the uh, stick so to speak if oakland can beat the chargers it really is and that's when it really gets confusing so i know what the what the raiders are saying is let's beat this san diego team they've got the coach halfway out the door unfortunately um and and but i i think that uh kansas city can beat um you know denver and i also think that that the chargers are going to make one last stand 
you know, to try to, to save North situation. And I think they can beat Oakland. So, so then really get out your little pad and start counting it up because it's going to be very confusing. And, and we started this conversation. I want to, I want to hear your take on it, Danny, about, you know, the Raiders in this, this uh, penalty thing. What, what can you do as a coach? I mean, uh, obviously it goes beyond just making an emphasis. Right. There's got to be a true culture change in the building, doesn't there? Well, I think maybe one thing it could – I mean, one thing you look and say, okay, who's committing all these penalties? I mean, is it a position? Well, what players – then you go to position, you know, with positions. And then, you know, so it could be as simple as, you you know, you have to replace the coach who's coaching a position or replace a player who's doing dumb fouls, how many personal fouls they are. I mean, we know there's that old-fashioned way of punishing the players. We know that uh, you, you can uh, – you, you're limited on your ability to find the players, but you have to find a way to let the players know that you're serious. Uh, you, you almost can say if we have these kind of penalties – and we lose the game, you know, then we're penalized this way. If we have these kind of penalties, we win the game. I mean, you have to try to have a total breakout of culture. Now, culture, we hear guys talk about all the time. Guys come in in basketball, we got to change the culture. Guys, new coach in football, we got to change the culture. Well, I don't think I've ever seen a culture that says that we here commit dumb fouls, flagrant fouls, and it doesn't matter because that's who we are, that we're the roughest, toughest guys gone. And we establish that. Well, I don't know if it makes you rough and tough because you commit more personal fouls or rough and tough because you commit more 15-yard penalties or more personal fouls because, I mean, I've seen, I've seen guys, you know, with where there, there's no chance of covering a guy. I mean, we're, you know, the strong safety literally just tackling the tight end. It's like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. I mean, there are rules of the game. And you have to follow the rules of the game. You, you can't supposed to be covering a guy and run and tackle the guy before the ball gets. You got to be kidding me! And then wonder what, what you know, put their hands up. What happened? I mean, and so I just think that somehow they have to, as they say, get a reality check. And that reality check says that these are the things that happen as a result of us with these penalties, and for us to win, it's got to stop. And then somehow you 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 start making penalties that go along with it. In other words, penalize them for the penalties. Yeah, my frustration with Hugh a couple of weeks ago is when he kind of threw his hands up and said, look, I, because of some pass interference and personal fouls, hey, I don't know what that is in this league anymore. I can't coach it because I don't know what it is. Well, that kind of enables the player. And, and so where do you go from there? If, you, if you're as a coach saying, hey, I don't know what that is, how do I coach it? I know, I understand the frustration, but where does that lead you as a coach? So well, let's talk about a team. I, I had uh, the Bengals this last weekend. I can't tell you how impressed I was with the Bengals. They're a good football team. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs or not. Obviously, they got a tough task. Uh, they, they've got to beat the Baltimore Ravens this weekend, which would be huge. There is some combinations. The New York Jets lose or tie. Oakland loses, and the same thing with the Jets losing and Denver losing. So it, it could happen. But I tell you what, uh, Cincinnati is as about a completed team as I've seen from their playing good defense. They run the ball. they got some great skill position uh, people outside. And Andy Dalton, I don't, I don't even think you call him a rookie anymore. He has handled the game. He manages the game so well. I really like what I saw in Cincinnati. Well, you know what? I was impressed enough to call to call Marvin a coach of the year last year, last week. And then they went out and just and beat, played well, played solid football. 
and and beat uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and I still feel that way. You know, Mark, and and you know he's not getting appreciation. They're not selling out. The crowds are not as enthusiastic. Uh, you know, I think people are as mad at Mike Brown as they are at, at the team as they are at Marvin Lewis. But I think that they're just not realistically the fans looking and seeing how much they've accomplished under what circumstances. And it has been an exciting team to watch. A team that goes out every single week in a tradition of really the Pittsburgh Steelers, and competes. And I just think with one game to go, they do have one more home game. The fans really should get behind them, show the players, show the coaches, uh, that they show the Brown family even, that they appreciate the kind of effort that they've made this year. Yeah, I, I hated to see it. We did the game, and, and the, the, the Bengals have sold out every game since their inception. Until this year, they've had six, now seven seven blackouts and i just hated to see it and you're right when you talk to fans in and around i was talking with the cabbie about uh, the bengal boy what a great weekend and geez uh geez how come people aren't going to the games and boy i got an ear earful from the airport to the hotel and he just you're right just blasted mike brown blasted marvin blasted the whole situation i hate to see the fans i think they will jump on board this is a fun a fun team to watch you know, and I'll even I'll even say that uh, in looking at these, and, and and Marvin, of course, he's enjoying life right now. I asked him in our production meeting uh, how much he was enjoying this year, and he says, "You don't know what a joy it is to come to work and not not worrying every single day where my next problem is going to be, right. aka all the emotional things he had to deal with Ocho Cinco and To and Carson Palmer and all that." He's he's loving coaching these young guys. Well, he really is, and I, you know, there's nothing like having a top pick round. And taking the player, and then Andy Dalton, and have that player work out for you. I mean that that just that kind of reinforces your philosophy as an organization from top to bottom. Yeah, I loved what I saw in Andy Dalton. Seemed poised. He's got a good arm, good command of the offense, and and uh, you know I got to tell you, and you know looking at the two, and I've seen them both play, and I love what Tim Tebow's doing. But if you're asking me which of these guys I would take to go forward. You know, to me, Andy Dalton, I see NFL pro quarterback written all over this guy. You know, obviously still have some questions about Tebow. Yeah, well, that's the way it's going to be for a while. I don't know when there's going to stop being questions about Tebow, but I think Andy settled his question, and, and I think that he looks like, the, as they say, the young Mark Stafford. He looks like he's ready to roll. Well, let's talk about the, the Detroit Lions and, and uh, against those San Diego Chargers you talked about earlier, obviously all but at home. You know, when we talk about the Lions, we've got to remember just how far they've come. I mean, this is a team just a couple years removed from 0-16 in the disastrous decade under Matt Millen. Uh, and so, to me, that just underlines even more the job that Martin Mayhew, the, the uh, general manager, and Jim Schwartz have done. Great job in drafting because this Detroit football team, this is an explosive team. Matthew Stafford's at the top of his game. This is a team that can do some damage. It really is because they've had – Top picks, really high picks because they've been bad team as far as the record. And those top picks have been phenomenal players. And I, I think it does go to Martin Mayhew. He, he made the call on Mark Stafford. He made the call on Calvin Johnson. He made the call on Sue. Uh, he's made the call on, on Jim Schwartz. I mean, he's made all these calls. The Fords have done what they've always done, which is stayed out of the way. 
provide the financial support, the management support, but allow the general manager and the head coach to work together and to work it out and to move on in the direction that they want to go into. And so, lo and behold, it has really paid off for them. Now, the way they took uh, San Diego part, that was a game that San Diego really needed to win, but they never had a chance. They jumped all over them in every single phase of the game. And I, I just think the only thing that they seem to be lacking at Detroit is a consistent running game. But, you know, when the playoffs start, it's a whole new season. I've seen teams who couldn't run the regular season that ran the ball very well in the playoffs. I've seen teams that ran the ball in the playoffs and, and couldn't run it, you know what I mean, during the regular season. So I, I just think that Detroit has done a heck of a job. Martin Mayhew gets most of the credit, but I think Jim Schwartz gets a significant amount because he has been challenged. As you know, there was, there was nothing easy. Uh, you know, people excited about his approach to the game. Uh, you know, him and Jim Harbaugh get into it, crossing the field, shaking hands. He looked over like a sore sport maybe when Harbaugh says that well maybe he thinks I shook his hand too hard I mean so it it has not come easily but Jim Schwartz has made people respect the Detroit Lions and that's something that's not been around for a while yeah and that goes to the culture change that we talked about just previously with the Oakland Raiders and things you have to do and it is a tough road and and Matthew Stafford wow you know when I had the game last we put up a uh, some stats, and we're going to show it on our coaches' show about his first 27 starts compared to guys like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. He compares very favorably, and and you have to be impressed with Matthew Stafford, if in no small degree too, because just what you said, they don't run the ball very well or a lot. They're second to last in the league in rushing attempts, so that means this is all falling on Matthew Stafford's shoulders, and he is impressive. Let, let's talk just a little bit about his coaches getting this De- Detroit team ready. Now they have made the playoffs. They have the potential, depending upon how the games go, of playing anybody in the first round except the Green Bay Packers because of, you know because New Orleans and Atlanta and how it may fall. We don't know if it's New York or Dallas. So let's talk about how do you get ready if you have a wild card game because normally you have so your assistant coaches, some of your, G, your your quality control guys, getting the materials ready for your coaches then the next week. But let's talk about how you do that when you have – you know, three, four teams you could be getting ready for. Well, I think you look at Green Bay last year as a wild card and went all the way to the top and say, we can do the exact same thing. I don't think they risk losing their mojo this week. So, in other words, they play Green Bay. I think they take the field in Green Bay like, hey, look, we have a little momentum going. Let's play a great game. Let's take that momentum into the playoffs. And so I, I think they come out and play very, very aggressive. Uh, against Green Bay, and I think that's a concern for Green Bay because uh, they they can be a little physical on defense, very physical. And, and uh, obviously Detroit has some familiarity familiarity with some of these teams. They've played New Orleans. They've played Dallas. Um, so that familiarity will, will obviously help them on what could be a short week. They may play on a Saturday. They may play on a Sunday. But not get, not knowing who you're going to play then the next week obviously compresses some of the preparation that you have to have. Let, let's talk about the Packers. Obviously a great rebound for them. They're going to play Detroit this week. We've talked about the approach that Detroit has to make. Clearly the Packers are going to make sure they're very prudent about how they approach this last game uh, in terms of making sure they don't put themselves. Rodgers looked brilliant. 
Uh, we also saw in the game where he hit his hand on a helmet. He's right. fine, but it underlines the potential. Boy, how much do I want to have my starters out there? Well, this is an example we've talked about before, which is if you're planning as a roughneck team, and that's what Detroit Lions are, I'm not sure that you want to have him play against them unless it really means something, and it doesn't mean anything for Detroit right now. So I, I think they're very careful with it. I, he could play the whole game, but I doubt it. He could play half of the game. That's probably more like it. It will depend on how, how Detroit comes out and, and what it looks like Detroit's trying to do. If they're trying to say, hey, we want to give uh, Green Bay their second loss. We're going to make Green Bay have to beat us. We're going to come in. We're going to take their approach at as a wild card team, a team in the same division with a team who's won the division, that we can show that we can play, that we can leave a little lump on their forehead and, and, and do what they did last year, then I think Green Bay might have to back down because you don't want to hit your gear and they hit their gear. Then the next thing you know, you're playing like it does mean something and Green Bay's already established that they have home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. Yeah, and, and I've got that game this week with Detroit at Green Bay, and, and I know what the coaches are going to tell me, that, hey, we don't care where we are in the playoffs. We don't care what our seed is. We're just going to play hard. But the fact of the matter is you and I both know i got to believe Jim Schwartz. They'd love to get this win and be the fifth seed. That way that they would play either Dallas or, or uh, uh, New York as opposed to the sixth seed where they could likely play the New Orleans Saints. Now, he's never going to admit to that because you never want to admit you don't want to play this team or that. But i got to imagine getting that fifth seed where they would now play the fourth seed, which will either be the Giants or the Cowboys, that, it, that you'd like to see it go down that way. Uh, you sh- absolutely, and I, I think that's, that's crucial for them. So uh, I don't know if they can do anything about it because Green Bay does look good. Most of the teams, you know, you look at Chicago and say Chicago played like they were, you know, like they were almost afraid of them. Uh, but I think that, that Detroit's not afraid of them. And I think that, the, the, you know, they know Green Bay well. They're in the same division. They look at how Green Bay won it last year from the wild card aspect. I think Detroit says we can do the same thing. We have the same kind of firepower. We have the, have the same kind of get up and go. We've been through more. And I, I think they're going to bring a lot of attitude into the game. Uh, let's finish with the number one seed in the AFC. And right now that's the Patriots. They clinched it uh, uh, versus the uh, with the, or I should say, they have home field advantage with the win versus the bill, the Bills on Sunday. Uh, when when things looked a little dicey for them, uh, Belichick uh, evidently at halftime kind of went off on his team. Uh, looked to make a difference. Let's talk a little bit about that as head coaches. Whether it's a pregame speech, whether it's a halftime locker room speech, let's talk about what that can do for your team and how many times you can get away with that. Well, it's a wake-up call. I mean, when you're down 17 to nothing to a team with the record uh, of the Miami Dolphins and the circumstances of the interim coach at the Miami Dolphins, you know you're playing some of your worst football of the year. And I think what Bill Belichick is saying, hey, we can lose this game and then things are still up in the air. We have to, you know, come back. And so he says he got excited. The players said he used a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of swearing going on. Uh, in there, and it it did wake them up. Now, Miami helped. They you have to have a little cooperation. Sometimes you and I know you can go and you can blow up at the team, and they go out and they continue playing poorly, and it's if you didn't say a word or that they didn't understand the language that you were using. Other times you can blow up at the team, and all of a sudden, you know they can buy into it easily. He could have said, "Look what happened to Green Bay last week." Green Bay probably rolled their helmets in and said, let's go play and whip this team, and it didn't happen. Obviously, he's close to Romeo. Obviously, he's close to those whole Kansas City scenes. So he easily could have used that 
that upset aspect to say we're getting ready to get our butts kicked just like Green Bay did last week because we're not paying attention to detail because we haven't decided to rise up. So whatever, it worked. Now, the question is, you know, will it work again this year? Maybe not. I mean, as we know, any strategy that works, it can be considered good strategy. Any strategy that doesn't work is considered poor strategy. That's not to imply that that he didn't plan to blow up, but I guarantee you sometimes you got to get the whip out. And when they're not planned, you've got to get the whip out, and Bill Belichick got the whip out. Yeah, I think people have to understand motivation isn't necessarily the right term. I tend to I tend to think more it's it's about bringing your team back into sharper focus. You know, you've said it for many years. You are who you are. Your record is who you are. You've earned that. That is you. And sometimes it's just a matter of you know uh, uh, pulling a blue vayner and and going on that rant. But what you're really doing is holding up the mirror and saying, look, I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to hold that mirror up. I'm going to make you look at it because this is who you are. And what you saw in the first half, that is you. Now, we think of ourselves as championship pedigree, that we can win a Super Bowl. Maybe we can't. But what we just saw doesn't cut it. You've got to recognize that. And sometimes as a coach, that's all you're doing. You're just holding that mirror up to your team saying, I'm going to make you look at what we just did. Right. Well, as we go forward now, the, the, I guess the final thing that I'm looking at uh, as we size up, and obviously when we approach it next week, uh, we'll talk about the, the playoffs and the matchups and as we go forward. But one thing we do have to talk about, I love the fact that the league has finally gotten on board and they have the last couple of years. All these matchups we're talking about, they're head-to-head matchups within the division. I think the league was brilliant in the way that they've orchestrated the schedule to where the last thing you want to do is to have someone else have to beat someone or lose to someone that's not in the division. You want to win this in the division, and that's where all these games are being played. And it really is. And, you know, you have to hit on all cylinders for it to happen, but it it has happened this way. And so I think that's going to create the excitement of the last game of the season. It's not like there's some teams that are just playing and nobody cares about them. Mostly everybody's caring about it. Positioning, with a few exceptions, are still up in the air. And most of it will be decided within the division. So it's going to be a great weekend. Well, that's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. Uh, You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Of course, I want to hear from you on my tweet at Coach Billick. Love to hear what you want Denny and I to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.